Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. The words of Psalm 85, verses 4 to 7. Hello and welcome to this third episode of Riding on the Clouds. My name's Richard Lane. Great to have you here with us again. Revival, a people saturated with God. It's the title of a book I have on my desk in front of me right here. But it's one of just a number of such books. Pentecost Today, the biblical basis for understanding revival is another. When God comes to church, a biblical model for revival today. Revival, can we make it happen? Here's one, When God Shows Up, Essays on Revival. Why Revival Tarics, a classic on revival. Another one, Praying for Revival. Here's one, a collection of essays on revival, a critical examination. Here's one that doesn't mention the word, but it's all about it, Firestorm of the Lord. Books on revival. Will you not revive us again, said the psalmist. But what is revival? In the previous podcast, I spoke about Ray Ortland quoting J.I. Packer, the late Jim Packer, who urged us not to neglect the revival dimension in our ministry. But what does it mean not to neglect it? What is this revival dimension in ministry? Why is revival significant for us? Well, in this podcast, in the coming episodes, I'll be exploring such questions. My purpose is to explore answers to those questions and to provide encouragement for those who listen in our Christian walk. In the last two episodes, the focus was on grief, but grief in the context of Christian hope. And this series, Riding on the Clouds, is at essence about growing in that hope. 30 years ago, uh, being a student at Sydney University and joining with others in the early morning at the Christian prayer meetings. We would meet, and often there would be prayer for revival. I would say my amen, but to be honest, as a relatively young Christian, I had no real idea what was even being referred to when they spoke about revival. References were made to things like the East Africa revival or revival in Wales that had occurred. And so part of this uh, first segment will be to convey some of the experiences uh, that have been left with us describing what occurred in revivals in the past. Secondly, I'll be sharing from various authors about what they have to say about revival, uh, their comments, their commentary, and their own reflections. Authors like uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, in more modern uh, 
uh, Times, Ray Ortland, Jim Packer, Brian Edwards, the late Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, Ian Murray, David Butts, Leonard Ravenhill. And in this particular episode, I'm going to begin with an Australian historian, Stuart Piggin. The third part of each episode, I'll be looking at the Bible and what he has to say about the subject. So it'll be history, modern commentary, and the Bible, and generally in that format, certainly for this uh, third episode. Of course, these segments will overlap. For example, the Bible will be, I'm sure, uh, central, or mentioned at least in each segment in some sort of way, in reference, um, though the focus will be looking at the theology in the third part. I also want to begin by stating that this is something of an exploration of the whole theme of revival. I'm sharing what others have said or written for the purpose of spurring us on in our own seeking for God's kingdom and his righteousness. I hasten to add that I'm using the labours and wisdom of others. I've made the selection of their writings and will, along the way, add my own comments. But in many instances, it will be others who have found the gems or written and done the research or spoken about these passages and I'll be using their material which I have found encouraging or stirring and I hope to in the whole process be providing education on the whole theme of revival and exposure to this wealth of material so that we uh, as I include myself because it's certainly been part of my experience that we may uh, you and I be growing in our love and knowledge of our Lord. So that's uh, an overview where I'll be going. I'm going to begin with Stuart Piggin and the little town of Kiama. I well remember the time I first heard uh, Dr. Stuart Piggin. I was a student at Sydney Uni and he came to speak, I think it was on a weekend actually at uh, to a small group of us who were Christians in a group known as the Evangelical Union at the university. Stuart was a lecturer at the University of Wollongong at that time and I don't remember what he said back then but what I do remember is this funny little moment uh, as he was beginning to share with us when he pulled out an apple and munched into it and then began to talk while he was eating this apple. I think he said something about it was just a little habit he had, but it has stayed with me ever since. He's gone on to write many books, including this book, Firestorm of the Lord. And the opening chapter particularly appeals to me because he is speaking about revival and defining revival but he opens with reference to the town on the south coast of New South Wales known as Kiama, a place that I often visit and I enjoy riding my bike around. Although at this time of the year, the magpies are darting down, so you've got to watch where you ride. Where you ride. Well, here's what Stuart has to say in the opening chapter. Revival defined. When the Reverend Thomas Angwin Methodist minister, disembarked at Kiama Harbour on the New South Wales south coast in Australia in 1864. 
curious onlookers could see that he was not long for this world. His frame was emaciated and he coughed up blood. He was dying of tuberculosis. When he spoke, he wasted no time in directing his hearers to the deep things of God. He preached with all the fervour of an apostle. Like the angel messenger of Psalm 104 verse 4, he was a flame of fire. One Sunday in July 1864, shortly after his arrival, a strange phenomenon broke out during the evening service in the Methodist Church. Each night, for a week and a half, the townspeople flocked to the church, from the youngest to the oldest. Men and women, boys and girls, they crowded the communion rail, confessing their sins, weeping and seeking the Saviour. Some of the elderly members of the congregation had seen a similar phenomenon before in the old country, in Wales in 1859. This was a genuine revival, they explained, and the hearers, as they came under conviction, were experiencing a breaking down. Forty years later, a massive revival swept Wales, adding 162,000 members to the churches. Once again, among those who enjoyed this great visitation of the Lord were some who had witnessed the Great Awakening in Wales of 1859. At the beginning of the 1904 revival, two old pilgrims leaped to their feet in a prayer meeting and with arms uplifted shouted, Here it comes, old 59! This experience of revival kept an understanding of God's greatest instrument for the advancement of his kingdom alive in their minds and hearts. Stuart goes on, but in late 20th century North America or England or Australia or New Zealand, how many have witnessed a genuine religious revival? This book is published in uh, the year 2000, and here we are in the 21st century, two decades on. But I think the question remains, who among us has been a member of a community that has experienced a sudden, awesome and overwhelming flood of God's power? It is outside the experience of most of us. Judges chapter 2 verse 10 says, Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Therefore it is necessary at the outset to define revival for such a generation as our own. But this is not as easy as it sounds. Religious revival is an issue that is evoked more prejudice than is healthy and less reflection than is desirable. There is no consensus among theologians on how to understand it or among historians as to how it functions in society or among Christians as to what it is or whether it is essential for the church. I'm going to pause and make a couple of comments about what Stuart has just said here. As I've read around about revival, uh, one of the aspects that has surprised me is there is this debate about exactly what does define revival. And that's part of my uh, purpose uh, in these opening episodes to explore that theme and to provide a, a sense of understanding about what we're talking about. I was also struck by the fact that he uh, quotes from Psalm 104 verse 4. Let me read verses 1 to 4 of Psalm 104. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. And uh, verse 4 is that final two phrases. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. And I presume that's linked in with uh, the title of Stuart's book, Firestorm of the Lord. But the reason I particularly draw attention to it is because it's verse 3 that I have referred to and links in with the very title of this podcast. He makes his cloud, the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. And uh, I don't recall sort of linking the two verses, verse 3 and verse 4, in, in terms of... Uh, uh, being linked with uh, what Stuart, with Stuart's own reference here, but it just underlines that uh, uh, this psalm opens up with this theme of revival, and uh, one of the reasons I particularly li- like it is, of course, it begins with uh, the word words, "Bless the Lord, O my soul," and. Uh, for members of St. Stephen's, and certainly not only St. Stephen's, our church, uh, but uh, many Christians across the, across the globe, uh, those words have have been sung in that wonderful song, Bless the Lord, O My Soul, by Matt Redman, which has been so popular in recent years, and uh, certainly one that lifts our spirit and our worship uh, when we gather at St. Stephen's Bellevue Hill, and sing our praises. I'm returning now to Stuart's uh, book, but I'm going back a few pages to his introduction as he talks about this uh, tension or disagreement uh, that people have about the understanding of revival. And I share this because it also, uh, I think, captures part of my purpose in having this podcast Well, here's what Stuart says. One of the most conspicuous features of contemporary Christianity is the eager longing for religious revival among many Christians in many parts of the world. The longing itself is an exciting phenomenon. In the history of the church, heightened expectation has frequently preceded genuine spiritual awakening. The danger is, of course, that longing easily translates into over-eagerness, even desperation. These tendencies have produced the worst aspects of Revivalism, a human technology for producing revival. And Stuart comments that his book has been written partly to encourage zealous souls most at risk not to yield to the temptation to take revival production out of the hands of the sovereign God. But he goes on, he says, My principal purpose in writing this book is to foster legitimate longing and heartfelt prayer for spiritual awakening. This is not an impartial study of revival. It is written out of the conviction that a powerful outpouring of God's Holy Spirit to re-establish reality, which is the way God views the world, is what churches and nations most need today. 
So I am more interested in removing prejudices against the ardent pursuit of revival than in addressing the excesses of those engaged in the pursuit. I would like to see a lot more fire before crying out for water. Accordingly, my desire to address systematically the objections of those who disapprove of the Church's interest in religious revival shapes this book. The most important such objections to revival are 1. Revival is a late and temporary experience of the Church that is not to be found in the Bible. 2. Revival is the product of unbalanced delusion, is productive of much division and error, and is not compatible with a healthy, mature, evangelizing church. 3. Revivals are merely human-induced, manipulated responses to human stress, and it is wrong to attribute any spiritual value to them. 4. Revival is the manifestation of a false spirituality based on aberrant teaching on the role of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life normally associated with Pentecostalism. 5. Revival is not a characteristic of mainstream Catholicism, Anglicanism or Orthodoxy, the denominations to which most Christians belong and can therefore hardly be necessary. And finally, revival is a sovereign work of God who will send it independently of any interest we might have in it. Uh, there are the object objections that are Stuart lists and his... Uh, going to respond to those of course and in responding is uh, naturally rejecting what is being said there. As I mentioned before uh, this book was written at the turn of the millennium and I, at that time I think there was this heightened sense of uh, or even over eagerness perhaps even desperation as he puts it of revival spiritual, genuine spiritual awakening about to happen, almost linked in with uh, the very fact that we were moving into the third millennium. Twenty years have passed. I've been uh, preaching on the book of Zechariah and noted uh, what can happen over twenty years in the opening chapter of that book as we, we've looked at the return of the exiles and uh, from elation it's slumped down to uh, despondency, discouragement and in some senses I think that reflects where the church is at today. There isn't that heightened expectation that we had at the turn of the millennium though even as I thought about that song we've been singing, Bless the Lord O my soul, in some ways that in itself is continuing to, to capture this sense of longing and expectation that we as the people of God as we meet together uh, have as we long for genuine spiritual awakening. And uh, with Stuart, I, in recording these podcasts, want to foster this legitimate longing and heartfelt prayer for spiritual awakening. And with that, what better than to hear from Ray Ortland? as he speaks about that wonderful passage, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1, a verse which is often used in this whole subject of revival, and I'll be coming back to it at various times. Let me read it to you. I'm just turning it to it in my Bible, although I'm pretty sure I know it. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, 
and that the mountains might quake at your presence. Here's what Ray had to say in a sermon on that passage. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations might tremble at your presence. In other words, oh Lord, we need unusual divine intervention. We need a divine event. We're thankful for your steady blessings day by day, but these are desperate times. We're in a desperate condition. We need, this is what it's saying, teaching us to pray this way, we need more blessing than we've ever seen before. We need the unmistakable descent of God. This is how he wants us to pray. Have you ever been in a worship service? where you became aware that someone had entered the room and that God was manifesting his presence and all you could do is do business with him. God is able to come down and visit us not only with his steady blessings for which we're grateful, but he is able to come down in unusual power. We know this from the Bible. And we know it from history. In 1735, God visited New England and Jonathan Edwards recorded what he saw. The town of Northampton seemed to be full of the presence of God. It was never so full of love and of joy and yet so full of distress as it was then. There were remarkable tokens of God's presence in almost every house. It was a time of joy in families on account of salvation being brought to them. Parents rejoicing over their children as born anew. Husbands rejoicing over their wives and wives over their husbands. Our public assemblies, he means our worship services, were then beautiful. The congregation in general was from time to time in tears while the word was preached, some weeping with sorrow and distress, others with joy and love, others with pity and concern for the souls of their neighbors. And he went on. Then about a century later, a Presbyterian minister in Scotland recorded these evidences of God's unusual movement. It was a common thing. As soon as the Bible was opened, after the preliminary services, and just as the reader began, and here the minister stopped. This was an address in Glasgow in 1840. He broke off his address and he just pointed out that this was not during the sermon. This was just during the reading of the Bible. It was a common thing for great meltings to come upon the hearers. The deepest attention was paid to every word as the sacred verses were slowly and solemnly enunciated. The silent tear might be seen stealing down the rugged but expressive faces turned upon the reader. It was often a stirring sight to witness the multitudes assembling during the dark winter evenings. 
to trace their progress as they came in all directions across moors and mountains by the torches which they carried to light their way to the places of meeting. The word of the Lord was precious in those days, and personal inconvenience was little thought of when the hungering soul sought to be satisfied. The word of the Lord was precious in those days. The hungering soul sought to be satisfied. I find myself so stirred when I hear Ray describing such scenes and expounding Isaiah 64. Ray's written a book on revival. I've referred to it briefly before, but it really is a key book that I'll be uh, using further in these podcasts. I've mentioned Jim Packer, and as I think about what revival is, I turn to the New Dictionary of Theology, where there is an entry entitled Revival Theology of, and it's written by none other than J.I.P. Jim Packer. Here's how he describes revival in the opening words. Revival as Protestant theology has used the word for 250 years means God's quickening visitation of his people, touching their hearts and deepening his work of grace in their lives. I think what we've just heard from Ray is, is conveying that what it means for God to to visit for this for the hearts to be touched and for there to be this deepening work of grace in the lives of the people of God and surely that's something that we long for in the words of Psalm 85 revive us again O Lord and so I close this podcast with a word of prayer along precisely such lines O Lord we We come to you and pray indeed that you would open, that you would rend the heavens and come down, or that the mountains might quake at your presence. And Lord, I pray that you would be pleased to hear the prayers of your people and revive us again, O Lord. And may we not diminish you, make you smaller than you are, For you are the mighty God, and with you nothing is impossible. You are the Lord who has sent your Son, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, who walked the path to Jerusalem and there gave his life, that we may be a people set free, forgiven, and drawn into your eternal kingdom. We rejoice, Lord, that our Saviour, Jesus, He is risen, he is Lord of all, and in his name, Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come. Amen. Thank you once again for joining with me. Next time, more of Ray Ortland and hearing Stuart Piggins' definition of revival. (laughs) 